Kim Stim and the Beijing Contemporary Art Foundation are proud to present An Elephant Sitting Still from director Hu Bo, winner of the Critics' Prize at the 2018 Berlin International Film Festival. Rolling Stone's David Fear writes, An Elephant Sitting Still is phenomenal, a jaw-dropping, ambitious debut film. Opens March 8th at the Film Society of Lincoln Center. The Film Comment Podcast is sponsored by Kino Lorber, presenting Three Faces by Iranian master Jafar Panahi. Winner of the Best Screenplay Prize at Cannes and an official selection of the 56th New York Film Festival, Three Faces hits theaters starting March 8th. Welcome to the Film Comment Podcast. I'm Nicholas Rapold, the Editor-in-Chief of Film Comment. Every year, right around February and March, when there's a late-breaking snowstorm, the True False Film Fest takes place in Columbia, Missouri. True False focuses on nonfiction filmmaking and stands out for its creative programming and especially vibrant community spirit. That's why I've attended for several years now, and recently I've also been doing a special episode of the podcast there. On the last night of True Falls, as part of a live event called Toasted, I talk with a rotating series of documentary filmmakers about how they approach their subjects and the people they film. It's a unique chance to learn about important new films on the festival circuit and to hear stories about storytelling, character, camera work, and documentary ethics. At this year's edition, I spoke with the filmmaker Brett Story, director of The Hottest August, a contemporary snapshot of New York. Myra Bueller, who made Let It Burn in a Sao Paulo social hotel, and Miko Reveresa, who shot his film No Data Plan almost entirely on trains while avoiding the attention of authorities. The discussion concludes with a chat about some more films with Jason Fitzroy Jeffers, co-founder of Third Horizon and director of the Third Horizon Film Festival. Let's go to the conversation, and please excuse the crowd noise of the live recording. My name's Nick. I'm your host for this evening. Uh, I'm the editor-in-chief of Film Comment, and uh, this is going to be part of the Film Comment podcast. So do we have the director of the wonderful The Hottest August in the room? Brett Story. Hi. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Do we also have Myra here? Please welcome the director of Let It Burn, Myra Bueller. All right, now we can get started. Hi. Thanks for, for joining us. <laughs> Thank you so um, much. Not to set the expectations too high, but I think between the two of your films, you span the entirety of human experience. <laughs> I think it's probably accurate, right? Well. Brett, you want to start with, with, uh, with your film? I, mean, um, I think what we should do is kind of like a, give a little sketch of the film, each film, just for people who may or may not have seen it. But um, The Hottest August was shot in August 2016? 17. 17. 2017. 2017, okay. What is, it's, I don't, I don't want to like reduce it to anything, but it's, it's shot around New York City. Yeah. Is it shot in all five boroughs? It's shot in all five boroughs. All five yeah. boroughs, um, and it's it's kind of a snapshot of a of a moment, a mood. It kind of takes the temperature. Um, it's it's 
sort of a jumping off point a little bit is the the climate change that's facing us all. Yeah, I mean, it's a it's a you know on a very basic level, it's a film about how we're all doing. You yes. know, and it just the 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 container that's wrapped around that is the the sort of outer boroughs of New York City over the course of August 2017. Mm -hmm. And then the film just becomes this deep dive into um, how people are living and coping with the with the multiple crises and freakouts yeah. of this time. Yeah, we we spoke a little earlier uh, without a hundred people in front of us. And um, is this God. supposed to be this low, or is it just sort of creeping lower? I'm gonna put it up here. <laughs> uh, there, or is it just gonna? Oh, <laughs> thanks. I. It just seemed to be going, there you go. I can make it part of the routine. I feel like since there was the Amazing Jonathan movie, I can do sort of like sub 80s stand-up comedian jokes with a mic. Um, but yeah, so the key image for me is when you go to Coney Island, right? Mm -hmm. And you, you have this shot of a roller coaster and people are getting, it's broken and people are getting off it. So it's just like the aftermath, and that was, very high. Um, the aftermath is actually this is a good Chris Marker moment mm. because isn't there a whole bit in Grin Without a Cat where Castro is like adjusting? Oh yes, like yeah, constantly. it's a brilliant long scene. But yeah, people getting off a roller coaster. I thought that was just like a perfect image, sort of in the middleish of the movie, right? Isn't it? Yeah, uh, sort of Later, in the last. Quadrant. We're moving into the last third of the last film third. at that point. But that seems to just capture the the idea of like things were going all right for a while, we were having fun, then it all broke down and we had to find a way to extricate ourselves yeah. from disaster. Yeah. Um, although you made a good point that it's not all like a negative image. Well, I mean, you can read the, the symbolism of it, you can read in multiple ways. I definitely think that it's a roller coaster breaking down is, you know, the tip of the iceberg, so to speak. You can read, a, read like a, the whole of societal collapse into that one roller coaster on the beach. Yeah. But yeah, you see some people helping each other and like yeah. walking each other gently down a, uh, a very high um, like track. And I think there's something hopeful in that. Yeah. I was recounting when you said that that was for you a key image, I recounted that to our cinematographer, um, Derek Howard and, and producer Danielle Varga and Danielle uh, reminded me of just how happy Derek was when he saw that. Like yeah. we had gone to Coney Island and he'd been shooting in a, uh, a shark tank and then caught a glimpse of this broken down roller coaster and Danielle texted me and she said, I've never seen Derek happier in my entire <laughs> life. Yeah. Um, because, yeah. I mean, you know, but because we were so fully immersed in the film at this point, we knew like the film like was, was going to already rely so much on sort of imagery and, and, and metaphor and symbolism for a kind of like the underlying decay and collapse um, and crises of this moment. And so he saw this broken down roller coaster and then saw the whole film and that yeah. image. So I'm glad it's coming across. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, and this might be a good moment to kind of bring the two films together a little bit because I, I feel like uh, with Let It Burn, um, which is a film shot almost entirely within a uh, sort of a residency for a house housing for um, s people addicted to substances and home they're homeless as well usually yeah. right um, in South Sao Paulo right yeah and 
it's a film that, like, that surface description sounds pretty grim, you know, pretty strong. But I feel like it's also a movie that has a, a, um, and a certain amount of hope embedded in it because at the core of all the, I mean, most of the people in the movie, what seems to concern them most is, 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 is having some love and some self-sufficiency. So there's always that kind of force in yeah. there. Yeah. I think that um, the film has hope because the characters have hope. And it's a film that it's a lot about listening and learning with them about their perspective of life. And it's very easy to look at them and think there is no hope yeah. for society because, of course, they are the fragile part of society. Uh, but then when you get close to them, you, you learn that, yes, there is hope. And, the, and hope is about relationship. Yeah. It's about um, bridge. And, uh, and it's about love, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I just found it a tremendously moving film. Um, and one thing that intrigued me when, when you were talking about the movie after one of the screenings, I think it was in the, the forest, the, I mean, maybe you talked about it otherwise, but how you collaborated with the people there to make the movie. So, I mean, that's really interesting because that's, I mean, that's very generous of you. and and. And also, I wonder if that was a bit nerve-wracking that you kind of, when you, anytime you're kind of thinking about what to do next, you kind of have to open it up. And some, it seems like if you want to control things, that would make you kind of nervous. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah, I was there like for, for five years. Mm -hmm. uh, but then filming, I was six months. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and sometimes I would be there like, 12 hours or eight hours, depending on the day or night. Mm -hmm. And I would film like 15 minutes. Mm -hmm. So it's, it was lo a lot about having them having me. Uh -huh. So I, I was patient, yeah, 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 yeah. And so would you, when you like, for example, the, the fight scene where there's, um, there's kind of an altercation between, uh, with, between two people and you were kind of figuring out, do I include this? Because you actually had to you weren't actually physically there during it, right? Um, no. how, so how, what was that discussion like when you were talking with, with, with the other residents about whether to include it? What were like the different sides of the discussion? Yeah, I think uh, I was running for help uh, and the camera was there. And uh, afterwards we were talking about if we should or should not have violent, violent scenes in the film. I had much more violent scenes in my footage that I just left out because they were uh, too much. Yeah. Uh, but then uh, they were very worried about having a truthful film. Mm. And, uh, and then if we didn't have violence, then they wouldn't feel like it was a film about them because it's not, it's not about uh, sa saying that there is no violence. It's about saying that there is a lot of things uh, besides violence, and that they are like really uh, fighting against violence because, you know, and the TVs and the, all the outside world, it's a world that excludes them a lot, and it, it comes in the TV and the city that it's around that they don't have access to the city. Yeah. So this world is producing violence. 
So I think, and they are reproducing violence as as the the, the f fragile part of society. So, it, so we we talked about that. Yeah. Yeah, that was the discussion we had. So wow. so, so they really wanted you to show, they, I mean they, they wanted you to show how the world was affecting them as well. Right? Yeah. 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 Because, of course, and mm. uh, how hard it was to be there. Mm. Mm. The you know because the, the the title of the film in Portuguese is tell tell her you saw me crying, it's mm. a part of a music that the, the guy sings, uh, okay. and and the film was about telling society that I saw them crying. Yeah. So I was like in this sense a bridge between them and and the rest of the world. So. Yeah. If I was not uh, telling that there was violence there, then it wouldn't make any sense. Yeah. I mean, another interesting bridge between the two movies, I think, is in, um, in Let It Burn, one thing I really like is that, you know, often you're showing couples and, you know, or even just two or three people in a room and maybe one of them is high and one isn't. Or, you know, one is like extremely sad and one is extremely angry. And I just love the idea of in one shot having two people who are just occupying such different moods. I don't know. That just seems something kind of magical that you can do. I don't know. It, that, but like, you know, at one point when someone has just gotten really high and he's standing and you just keep him in the frame. Do you, you know the shot I mean where he's, he's standing and he, I think he's just, I don't know, smoked something. And, but, and meanwhile, there's a dog. And there's a third guy. There's a second guy. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I got it. But you really seem to want to keep them in the frame, even though the standing guy is just sort of dazed, right? Yeah. Well, yeah. Because things happen like that. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. No, it's true. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, and uh, and because Greg uh, was in the middle of life and not apart, so I think. It was about having having it in a very how can I say uh, how how it how it was in life not like stereotyping yeah. the use of the drug I mean this is this is how it is sometimes they are like that and uh, and then uh, some minutes later he's okay he was cleaning his bedroom right so it was about. Uh, I mean, it's just like how it was. Yeah, it's just part of part of the mood. Um, but I like that because often, I mean, in a documentary, it's kind of, I mean, there are all types of like choices and artifice, but it's kind of artificial, the idea when you just isolate one person, you know, in, in an interview. So when you have two people and one's not talking, and but one is just, I like that idea of having two consciousnesses. And that's, that's one of their great scenes in, in The Hottest August when you have you know, the couple, the mechanic and um, the fitness instructor. Um, that's not on Staten Island. That one's in Brooklyn. No, that's, it. Uh, that's Queens? in Queens. Oh, yeah. Queens. Okay. Um, but I love that because even when one's talking, then you can just, you're permanently watching a reaction shot right next to them. Um, I mean, you probably have like reams of like very interesting footage just watching the two of them talk and I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I think... Um I mean, I also think that people like naturally sort of riff off of each other. Mm -hmm. So there's a different way in which people present themselves when they're interacting with a camera directly versus yeah. when they've got some sort of companion to right. sort of um, 
even, you know, just, just react to and react in relation to. So I like filming people in pairs because I can take a step back and they can sort of build on each other or yeah. we can observe their faces. But also, like, that's one of the, re one of the things I, I like about filming animals, too, is that, oh, yeah. we're, you know, we, we always look to humans for our reaction shots. But um, we've shot a lot of animals, and I imagine the animals' faces could be moments for us to have, like, yeah. another kind of reaction shot to what we're hearing. Yeah. I'm trying to remember, what, what are the big animal cameos in the hottest August? There's... Well, there's the duck at the baseball game. The duck. Of the, I wanted to ask you about the duck at the baseball game. Thanks for bringing that up. What? So for me, like that was about a person because you have that's like people are fighting over the baseball game, yeah. and she's just sitting there chilling with her duck. Yeah. Um, right. And I love that scene because it just I don't know. For me, it was just like this person's like completely removed from like the reality in front of her. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know about the duck, but the duck is too, I guess. Yeah, and it's a you know it, the. It doesn't have any greater meaning than that. Yeah. But there is this invitation in the film to try and like see ourselves differently. And sometimes yeah. we get, we're so used to seeing people and, and thinking about listening to people and watching them that we almost, that we, 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 it's hard to get perspective on that and to sort of see people and all their strangeness or in their yeah. subtlety or in their subtext. And, um, you know, sometimes like just even having these weird animals that pop up yeah. Some of which it's already weird that they're there. I mean, it's it's sort of bizarre that this duck is there, but it also it's she's obviously just someone's pet, and she's not right. phased to have her duck be no. at this baseball game watching it. But it's a it's a kind of just our offering, you know, the as the the film's offering to people to sort of like take a moment to not just look at these animals, but think about the fact that they're looking at us right. and like what that must be like, you yeah. know, again, just in a kind of deep human way of, um, yeah, just thinking about what it, how we can regain perspective on ourselves yeah. and each other. Yeah. I mean, it's another witness in the room. Yes. And also kind of another, another being that's going to be affected by the decisions that are being made by everyone else. Yeah. And I kind of thought about that. I mean, in the, um, in the, uh, the, the building, one of the, one of the, um, one of the residents has a dog, a small dog. And there's at one point where he's just sitting there and I just had to think like, is he just f fed up with <laughs> everything that happens around him? You know, um, it's just, it's, it's, I mean, you, you keep this shot of, of the dog sitting on the floor for a while and, and it, it takes you out, but it, it gives you a new perspective as well. Um, was, is the dog okay? <laughs> yeah, the dog, the dog is very much okay. He's, okay. he's, he? You say he for a dog? I don't know. Is it he or she? I don't know. Ah, okay. No, it's a he. It's a he. Yeah, he, a he. Okay. And and uh, he's part of the hotel. Everybody takes care of him. Oh, so he's like and a building dog. He, no, he's this guy's dog, oh, but guy's everybody dog, okay. likes it. Him. Okay. Yeah. And he rides the elevator also, and uh -huh. uh, his feet. Yeah. He's yeah. okay. Yeah. Is he named Pity because he's a pit bull? What? Is it his name is Pity, right? Pity, yeah. yeah. No, but Pity in Portuguese, it's not Pity. Oh, it's oh. like just it doesn't mean anything. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, well, I like it also because, you know, both the movies hottest hottest August and Let It Burn, they have a real sense of place, like multiple places in the, in the in the case of that uh, your film. Um, 
in your film, you have a building where you are, we get familiar with every single inch of it, we feel like, you know, we're, we're, we live in rooms for a long time in a way. Um, and you kind of have a sense of being, of the feeling of being trapped there a little bit, um, but also of a place that has its own life and its own cycles. Um, can you talk about the elevator scene, which I think is, I mean, one of the funniest scenes I've, I've seen uh, here at, at True Falls. It's, I mean, I mean, it's also just kind of funny, sad as well. I, I was uh, riding in the elevator a lot of times and I used it to sit in the floor. And the floor was very dirty, of course. And, and then I remember a guy that he was really high and he got into the elevator and he looked at me and he said, I'm crazy, but you are completely out of your mind. <laughs> <laughs> and I think... The elevator, the elevator somehow was, I mean, we, yeah, I, maybe I was crazier than them at this moment. Yeah. It was, it was about being there a lot. Yeah. But it's, it's funny because, you know, you, you stay there in the, in the elevator. And the funny thing about cameras in small spaces is that I don't always know how close you are to the person. I mean, how close you are to the people in there. Just because of the lenses, you know. I mean. Yeah, no, we. Uh, I almost didn't use the zoom lenses in the film. Oh wow! Uh -huh. So I was always really close, and I also had a boom. So uh, in the elevator, you have a boom. In the elevator, no. Okay. But <laughs> but in the uh, the other places, okay. yes. Uh -huh. And this was part of the uh, of the of my choice to be really really evident, and the film was about making a film so okay. i was there clearly making a film yeah and and uh, and we were like uh, making these situations for performance yeah and in the elevator the elevator is like very small yeah, yeah very small <laughs> i just want to pick up on a, a point you made about uh you know uh making the act of filmmaking very apparent to everyone who's there and that the movie is partly about that because i'm curious how that plays out with, uh, with The Hottest August, um, I just realized both of the titles have to do about heat. Yeah, yeah. Um, right. I, right. I, just, I just earned my keep. Um, <laughs> um, so, but yeah, with, with, with The Hottest August, I mean, I mean there, are, there are a number of shots where you, it really doesn't feel like you, you want, I mean, you really have like a removed, almost like omnipotent perspective because you're just kind of showing things from, from that perspective. But at other times, what, was, what were your feelings about, you know, making the filmmaking process really foregrounded or not? I mean, my feeling is in most of my projects is that I, I neither want to like overly indulge my presence, like make a big deal out of it. I'm not like the sort of theme of the, like, the meta-ness of like making a film isn't that interesting to me. But I also don't feel the need to hide it, you know, and I think it's really important to assure audiences that might feel anxious about people's privacy being intruded upon or people being snuck up on, um, that like, there are filmmakers here, we know we're here, we're asking people questions, they're looking at us. Um, so it's nice to have those moments, especially if the moment is already good. Like, I don't feel like this purist need to like, cut it out somehow. Um, and yeah, so like the film, the very first shot in the film is like, out of focus and has a boom pole in it. And we're just like scrambling to catch up because some guy has just leaned out a window and has got some stuff he wants to say. Right. And so part, yeah. you know, part of, part of like 
you know, for a film like this also, it's like we have to spend some time in the film sort of kind of demonstrating what kind of film it is and, and making it possible for people to feel oriented because it's a kind of, it's, it's, it's going to unfold in a slightly unusual way. Yeah. And so we wanted to, um, we wanted to say something about like how exactly people were encountered mm-hmm. and the sort of, you know, randomness and spontaneity of a lot of these encounters. Yeah. And so that became a kind of moment where we could, the, the filmmaking could be present so that we could see like how a situation like the, the, the conversation you're about to see even happens in the first place. Yeah. No, I love that opening shot. It's like the building's like an advent calendar or something. So something someone pops out. Um, but it, I mean, it, it also kind of speaks to the way you're kind of opening up the world, you know, I mean, you're, and, and this idea that, yeah, that something might pop out of anything you're showing. And it's also a weird way of bringing together the very personal perspective with the kind of infrastructure in a way. Like it's just like the building kind of started talking. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, people are always in places. Like I find that really interesting. I I would never like, I don't want to ever isolate people from a place because the place is, says volumes about, about them. It can be like a a space, like an elevator, you know, you learn a lot about like how people are understanding time and like the desire to just to be together or just like a different sort of speed of things that are going like from that elevator scene. Um, And so like that becomes just like a necessary, yeah, the sort of like context, small or large, becomes really an important way to like read the person, you know, the people themselves. Yeah. The Film Comment podcast is sponsored by Kino Lorber, presenting Three Faces by Iranian master Jafar Panahi, director of The White Balloon and Taxi. Panahi's fourth film, made in defiance of the filmmaking ban leveled against him in 2010, Three Faces won the Best Screenplay Prize at Cannes and was an official selection of the 56th New York Film Festival. Justin Chang of the Los Angeles Times called it an artful, surprising, and thrillingly intelligent story about a few women trying to make a difference. Three Faces opens March 8th at IFC Center before expanding to select cities. Kim Stim and the Beijing Contemporary Art Foundation are proud to present An Elephant Sitting Still, winner Best Film at the 2018 Golden Horse Awards. Filmmaker Hu Bo paints an intimate and empathetic portrait of four desperate and interconnected individuals seeking to escape a small city left behind in China's booming economy. A modern reworking of Jason and the Argonauts that invokes the works of such cinematic masters as Bella Tarr, Xia Zhengke, and Hu Xiaoshen. Richard Brody hails the film as among the greatest recent films that should become an enduring classic. Opens March 8th at the Film Society of Lincoln Center. So welcome uh, our addition to the lineup. Hi. Um, Miko, uh, director of No Data Plan. Mm -hmm. Um, So where to begin? Actually, it's kind of interesting you're, 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 you're here because... There's another film with just an entirely different style from, from what, we, what we've been talking about. Um, I mean, how, so just to give a kind of, can you give like a little just summary of, of, of uh, yeah, your log line? Because <laughs> uh, I'm going to mangle it if I start. Yeah, I mean, it's basically just a train ride mm-hmm. across the country yeah. from L.A. to New York, which I shot in three days. Mm-hmm. Um, and... In that time, there's this like, there's the linear train ride across the country, 
which is just chronological, but I'm also telling sort of uh, unfolding recent events within my family, and it kind of goes to these voiceovers of, uh, I don't know, like the history of the Philippines or, or sort of uh, local recollections of like my grandmother's childhood um, in the Philippines. And, and yeah, that's about it. Yeah, no, that's perfect. <laughs> that's, I knew I would get lost if I tried to weave that together in, in the same way. Um, but the, I mean, this strikes me like, as, like both your films strike me as like very um, just exhausting to make, you know? I mean, just sort of emotionally exhausting. I mean, and, and, and you're also, I mean, that's a lot of traveling involved as well. I mean, how, how long were you shooting the film? Um, just the three days. Oh, it's just the three days of that. Yeah. Okay. I and guess then, you just said that. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but but with the movie Magic, I don't know. It might have taken longer, <laughs> so. I just, I didn't know that I was shooting a film. Okay. And then I got on the train, and then my phone doesn't have a data plan. Uh -huh. um, and they told me that there's no Wi-Fi on board. Yeah. So I was like, oh, great. Like, what the fuck am I going to do for, like, yeah. three days? And then I just, <laughs> and I just carry, like, I, a lot of times I just carry my camera with me and just, like, a practice of uh, just recording what yeah. I find interesting. I just happened to, that happened to be, like, the only form of entertainment that I right. had on me. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's really interesting because um, it's, it's this interesting mix. The film, for me, was an interesting mix of, like, in, very environmental but very autobiographical. So, you know, if you, if you say a movie's autobiographical, it might mean that, um, oh, have you been cold off? Oh, okay. Oh, it is cold. You're right. In case you're just joining us, it has gotten a little cold because a door right off the stage has been open. It is. Oh, thank, um, thank you I wish so I, much. <laughs> I should have brought my jacket. Um, oh, yeah. Could at we, this point, I should be gallantly draping my jacket around Myra. Um, can I request my jacket, too? <laughs> <laughs> can we? Um, thanks. Um, for our listeners, <laughs> when this is a podcast, our listeners should know that I'm, I'm wearing a cloak with question marks, so I'm very cozy and warm, actually. Um, oh, here we go. Oh, there's some coats or sweaters. Thank you. Our, our gracious uh, audience has, has been so kind to us. Um, but we won't be freed from the stage for another three hours. Um, so, no, so no data plan. Um, I was saying that it felt like very environmental because you're, you're recording things that are, are it feels very, um, personally centered because it's stuff that you're perceiving or overhearing um, but at the same time it it, it 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 it's very outward you know it's very external because it's it's you're not trying to tie things together in a way that makes you know but but that fragmentation is kind of seems to be part about what you're feeling as well hmm. is that is that right yeah i mean i think um you know like my condition here in the states is so tied to like a geopolitical situation of borders of a bordered world and me being undocumented here in the states and traveling throughout the states there's this precarity um so then it implicates the landscape to just it's not i am interested in like the landscape film but like for me to make a landscape film is a completely different meaning from like 
other landscape because I guess right, it, yeah. yeah or um I think about <clears throat> I don't know when I'm shooting across the country what like the cinema language or the like what is the camera movement of migration looks like and it's tied to the body and what that kind of how the body is implicated and how it implicates the camera um how nervousness affects camera movement um how boredom stasis uh confinement affects that camera language too yeah and and then there's also the feeling that the feeling that you can be really perceptive and see all this around you but then fear can just short circuit the whole thing in a way mm -hmm. and you kind of lose that fear is something i i wonder how that came into play with with uh let it burn as well i mean fear yeah um i the story of the film has like two i i was there because of two reasons one is like more political and uh and uh um uh, well, because of course I wanted to build another another kind of cinematography uh, about this theme and these people and everything. But then there was another thing that I, I had been kidnapped uh, some some years before, and I was very much afraid because I was kidnapped for someone that was high and and. And then uh, I thought a lot about it, and uh, I had like two ways of facing the fear. One was like just locking myself and, uh, you know, putting cameras and, and constructing uh, um, walls. And the other one was really to get in touch and, and to understand people and not to, and not to look at them as strangers that are going to be necessarily violent because they are humans as, as me. So it was, the film was a way of really facing the fear and get in touch. And, 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 and somehow also in some level build a kind of community with them, like a commitment, a political commitment. So, yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I just find that, I mean, people often talk about this filmmaker is brave or this, you know, I, that's both what you've done is feels very brave, you know, I mean, uh, but, and, and I'm just, yeah, just, it's very, yeah, I don't know what to call it. it seems, it's very inspiring to see you engage with the fear and see you both engage with that. Um, I mean, you know, when you started, for both of you, when you started out making your movie, was there, was there a point when you thought, I don't know if I can continue, this is just, you know? I, I was, uh, no, I didn't. No, I didn't. Great. <laughs> but then uh, I there's a story uh, oh, yeah. that it's like, I, I had money to develop, and then I uh, and then the, the money went. I went off money, and uh, and I told them, and and I was there like visiting, and they were saying, "Where is your camera?" And I said, "I have no camera anymore because my money. I don't have money." Oh yeah. And then the, and then they said, "No, but you need a camera. I'm, uh, we are going to get you a camera." And right. I said, no, please. And they said, no, yeah. But I said, no, but I need a very professional camera. You won't, you won't get it. And then they said, no, but we have a key of a house of someone that has a very nice camera. And then they came and gave me the camera, the, like two days before, after. 
And I was like, I can't use this camera. And they were like, no, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna break this camera. But then we just gave the camera to a social project that worked with ch children around the neighborhood. And for me, this was like uh, a turning point, uh, not being afraid, but like yeah. really, I, I was not afraid of anyone taking my camera. I was like uh, having camera as a present. So it's a lot about the relationship. And uh, so, no, I'm, I yeah. trusted, I trusted the, the people in the project. So. Yeah. And I mean, does the camera give you a sense of, I, I know a lot of filmmakers say when you have the camera, you know, like I always remember like, you know, like Harlan County, USA or something, you know, when she has the camera and she's filming like the strikes and, and, and the strike breakers. And, 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 and I, she said something like when you have the camera, you know, you, you know that something is not going to happen at least. But does that get in the way of the filming then? You know, is, is, it, is there ever a limit then? No. For me, no. Uh, I, I have a DP. And uh, we were like, I, I, we were uh, testing before. I, I was like three weeks uh, shooting for development. And we were watching the footage. And I was like directing him and, and, and talking to him how I wanted. But then after that, when we were filming, he was with his eye on the camera and I was with my eyes in, in the eyes of the people. And okay. for me, what makes me really comfortable is my eye, not the, not the camera. I mean, uh, my I eyes protect the camera. I protect the camera because wow. I know when something is wrong. Yeah. yeah. Wow. And I mean, how does it play out for you? You know, because the, part of... Part of your filming is sort of sort of secret, right? I mean, secretive. Yeah, that's true. Um, I mean, I I just uh, I don't have like a crew or anything. It's just like me. I do the sound, and it's just like traveling across the country, and I just have my um, Sony, and yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> but but I mean, how does it? How did it feel for you to be to be shooting while taking this this trip? I mean, is yeah, I, I guess, I mean, again, I think I was just really bored on the train. <laughs> and, um, yeah. and so in a way, it's, it's a little uh, comforting for me mm -hmm. to, to have the camera on me. Yeah. Um, it gives me something to do. And, and also, like, it allows me, um, I don't know, it, it just, it just like... Uh, I guess, okay, so actually, I took this train ride two times, okay. and this was the second time, and the first time um, was the previous summer, okay. and then I was shooting footage, but it wasn't like with an intention of making a film, it was just, again, you know, just part of like my diary practice, uh -huh. um, and then the, I remember the first time going across the country that I was, uh, I was a lot more terrified mm. to, even with the camera drawing attention to myself yeah. um, and every time like the train would slow down I was also like throughout the southwest I was worried that they were slowing down because like right. I don't know like ice was gonna board the train or something or yeah. there'd be like I don't know like white vans out in the middle of the desert and they'll just freak yeah. me out the whole time actually this time like I lost that fear a little bit I was just like uh -huh. okay like it's chill you know like I didn't get there was no border patrol or ice that boarded the train last time, so it's gonna be it's gonna be right. totally fine. And I'm right. just gonna like shoot whatever, 
and then yeah, and then and then for the most part, I, I felt pretty like free, mm -hmm. um, and I was just sort of in my thoughts and just like observing the landscape, and um, yeah. yeah, and I most of my fear of getting detained in America happens throughout the Southwest, and I was uh -huh. like way out of there, you know. Yeah, and then like out of all places, like Buffalo, New York. Is is where like, that's where. Yeah, that's where. But I think um, it seems like that's like happens there a lot. Oh really? They, yeah. they kind of have people mm -hmm. take people by surprise there. I guess. Yeah. How do you? I mean, I always wonder how you're able to. Oh, did you want to add something? Or? No, I was thinking about leaving yeah. because okay. I'm leaving tomorrow. Okay. And and I didn't sleep last night. Okay. So. Oh my goodness. Okay. Yeah, last night was a big yeah. Night. Yeah, it was a long night. But I'd yeah. like to thank you a lot. No, yeah. It's been a pleasure to yes. be here. Thank you. Yeah, thank bye -bye. you. Bye. Like to introduce yourself. Um, I am Jason Fitzroy Jeffers. I am the um, Festival director of a festival called Third Horizon Film Festival in Miami. We focus on Caribbean films, and I am a ringleader here this weekend. Oh, welcome. How are you holding up with this marathon right what's, now? What's How are you holding up with this marathon right now? <laughs> I, I I think I'm still. You you tell me if I just start babbling or. No, you, you seem to be doing all right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's uh, it's an adventure, definitely. Um, well, so I, I assume you probably saw a good number of films here. Yeah. 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 It's been, it's my first time here. Yeah. I really enjoyed it. I yeah. really enjoyed it. Yeah. I guess I sort of was in the middle of talking about uh, Over the Rainbow. Did you see that one? I did. Yeah. I did do, um, did a Q&A with, oh, uh, with right. Jeff yesterday. Oh, actually. perfect. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I, I was, I was uh, going to kind of talk to him about, um, that's an interesting movie because it has a number of generations in it, which you don't always get. Um, and that's actually Up the Mountain also has a number of generations. So I guess these work out. Um, but it's fascinating because it's a movie about, you know, Scientologists or people in different, in different level, levels of engagement with Scientology. And I've never seen this before. You have a, a, like a first generation Scientologist. Is that, am I thinking about it? then the second generation Scientologist? Yeah, which is totally fascinating because it's like if like religion is like a language or something, this is someone who it was their native tongue, right? Um, and that's just I don't know what, what how he he felt about that, uh, Je Jeffrey, but it, that seems like an amazing thing that he was able to capture that. I wonder what the process. What, what did you think about that? I, I really enjoyed the film. Yeah. I mean, I think there's so much to be gained from, you know exploring with empathy yeah you know trying to get on the inside and look out as opposed to just solely critiquing from the outside looking in i think i was surprised how much i identified with the with the subjects oh sorry our, our, i think i i was surprised by how much i identified or like understood oh yeah the film subjects you know um yeah not that i <laughs> you know no judgment here <laughs> right right but you know yeah i i thought it was it really drew me in it was so immersive yeah yeah you know i, I got caught up in the spell of the film yeah 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 it just it was a, it was a fascinating it is a fascinating film because yeah it's just equally about you know religion or I thought it was equally about like religion and therapy in some way uh, and there was actually at the particular screening i was at someone asked a question about over the rainbow that 
about how that it was a movie that was partly just about modernity. Um, and and I thought that when I was watching the movie that the way Scientology, what you see about Scientology in the movie is that it seems like it's almost a parody of, of being of modern world, you know. They have all this Orwellian kind of language, the, the ethics division, you know. Um, it's just like a literally science fiction writer who made a religion. Uh, so it's, it's just, yeah, it's just you couldn't, you couldn't make it up. Well, in, did you by any chance see No Something is Slowly Changing? No, I was not able to, sorry. You know, that, you know, similarly, I, I, I had a similar thought watching that in, in yeah. that it, it just trains its lens on all of these different modalities of therapy and self-help and whatnot. Yeah. And one of the things I was thinking in watching the film is that as we become more connected and, and thus more complex, mm -hmm. uh, there have to be all of these new modalities that emerge to help yeah. us deal with this onset of yeah. almost like this information overload. There's that much more that we have to process on a daily basis right. and that much more that we have to figure out ourselves in relation to. Yeah. And so whether it's religion or therapy or God knows what else, yeah. there are that many more things that we're inventing to figure out our way through it all. Yeah, you know? yeah. No, I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of, that's why I'm kind of like groping for what to, what to call it. It's this, it's this other thing that we're all trying to figure out. Um, if you're just joining us, uh, this is the uh, Film Common Podcast portion of Toasted. Were you able to catch either of, uh, of the um, Nathan, Nathan uh, Fielder um, no, screenings? No, Oh, okay. No. Well. What did those bring up well, for you? Well, it's because... Because, you know, it's, they were screening Finding Francis, which is this, uh, I don't know how to describe it, but in the, in the question and answer afterwards, I mean, it seems kind of, you know, it's, it's, you could just take it as just completely comedy, you know, watching this kind of sort of a spectacle of an older guy and trying to find a long lost love. Um, and, you know, he's a, he's, he's a little, little oblivious about how he's coming off, you know. Um, but he's also a bit conscious of how he's and almost hyper conscious because he's a, he's like a, you know, an, an actor who gets sort of small gigs and that sort of thing. One of them is that he's a Bill Gates impersonator, uh, sort of implausibly. Um, but what, what Nathan Fielder said afterwards that was really interesting to me is that he, he thought that the series and, and I guess that particular episode was about like sort of modern life and marketing and self-marketing and that you constantly have this feeling of how you should come across, you know, and, and how you have to, you know, control that, cultivate that, apologize for who you are actually, and actually have this perfect face you're putting to the world. You know, I saw that in, in, in the last place I was expecting to see that. Oh, really? Where? The Mike Wallace film. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah. In that, his deep, deep insecurity. Uh, because he, he started his career as a pitch man. As a what? As a, as a pitch man for okay. cigarettes and different products. And okay. he, his entire, you know, it's funny because I ended up, I didn't go to the party last night. I ended up watching a bunch of old 60 Minutes oh, yeah. interviews. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. Um, but yeah, he dealt with some deep insecurity. And he was, he, he's, many people see him as the father of the hard-hitting interview. This is somebody who dealt with deep insecurity late into his life to the point that he even had a suicide attempt. Yeah. Um, 
and it was really interesting to to think of him as this person who yeah. positioned himself in public life with this certain you know posture yeah um that has influenced so much of how we even conduct interviews yeah yeah and uh just how he thought you know i think at some point he said it's very hard to continue functioning like this when you think of yourself as a fourth-rate person. To think of yourself as a what? A fourth-rate person. <laughs> wow. Like, wow. Yeah. You know? Um, so, you know, it just got me thinking of yeah. how we position ourselves in the public sphere and, and the yeah. avatar of ourselves that we project out there and, the, yeah. you know. Yeah, um, and that almost, it seems to show that that's also something that crosses over with just celebrity in general. It's probably not that uncommon um what was your favorite film that you saw Ooh, favorite or one of the favorites right now i'm digesting um cold case hammerschuld oh okay Mm -hmm. um i don't want to give too much away but it 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 starts as this um invest almost like a quirky funny investigation into did you see it did you catch it? oh i did yeah i saw that one yeah Yeah, what, what 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 it i was just um yeah the turn it takes and how mm-hmm. yeah. kind of grim it gets. Yeah. Just when you think it couldn't get grimmer, right. it just opens up and, yeah, gets even worse. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's interesting because um, um, Mads Brugger, the, uh, the, the director, he, he kind of sets himself up, like you're saying, this kind of, you know, very easily mocked kind of investigator. He's trying to figure things out. But he uses this, I should just recap it in case anyone doesn't know, but but it's about um, finding out, solving the murder, or sorry, whoops, (laughs) solving the death, solving the death, the unexplained death of of, uh, the eminent uh, United Nations Secretary General, uh, Dag Hammarskjöld, Uh, pardon my... My, no, you said it right. You said it right. Yeah, my, you got my, it. Yeah, it's my skin. Almost like, three a.m. in the morning. You're yeah. you're doing well. Doing well. So I'm impressed. But he, he he so he goes back. To, I forget which 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 country exactly. It was uh, northern Rhodesia, which is now uh, Namibia. That sounds right. Yeah, yeah. And he's going to like the crash site, and he's interviewing people around that. But he uses this, this device Sounds that I found really interesting, which is that you know. Each little, um, sorry, <laughs> uh, each little part of the movie, he's he's kind of like dictating to to uh, an assistant who's transcribing, and I think there are actually two assistants, right, who are right. switching. I, what did you make of that device? It's it's very strange. Yeah, um, like I said, I'm still unpacking it because yeah. I think they kind of gave us a connection to. I mean, you know, one of the things that I think about so much with that I've been thinking about think I, since I saw it is that almost all of these, so many of these, I don't want to say characters, but subjects in the film are people who are not from the continent. Uh-huh. You know, it's this, yeah. it becomes this really kind of disjointed exploration of colonialism that you mm-hmm. don't really expect. And so they're, they're it's funny because he's dictating to them. Right. Um, and the whole film is about those kinds of incursions, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, but, you know, the interesting thing is that they're still, you know, they're, they're just not just taking the dictation. They're kind of 
they're developing. Yeah, they're reacting. Yeah. yeah. You know? um, I couldn't tell if he was trying to. Ex he was like just like I'm. This is. I know this is what this is about. So I'm gonna foreground this by ha by showing this relationship somehow. Um, I guess I, somehow I thought that was he was trying to be open in some way about what he was doing. I don't know. Um, but then you, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. That that we had a really. Um, powerful Q&A uh, yeah. that was that was the last film um, my last film of the night of the weekend oh really and that Q&A went on for quite a while and it was really moving I it's actually I, I, I didn't who, who was the who was present for the Q&A uh, 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 the producer, oh, the producer um, Andreas okay. Rock said yeah. oh I see okay yeah it seems like sh they must have had a quite a job of secrecy about that film generally yeah and um, you know the investigations are still ongoing and, yeah. yeah you know so it's going to kind of be keeping tabs on that story in the months to come. Yeah, you yeah. Know. There's a lot that we're not seeing here right I now. In this one. It's funny because, it, I mean, you don't want to say spoilers, but yeah. still, it, it just, I was really taken by the tonal shift that, yeah, where, where it went, you know. Yeah. No, it just opens up from a particular tragedy to something, I don't know, is... So much more And the thing yeah. is, is it starts almost, it's a lot more quirky and, and humorous. In the beginning, yeah, and by the end, it's so sinister. Yeah, it is. You yeah. know, and and that was what that was an interesting part of the Q and A, because um, uh, Andreas was saying the producer he was saying that very much mirrored their experience. Oh, really? Of making the film, they were they, they would have this right. thinking that they were doing one thing, and as they yeah. got deep, deeper into it, there came a moment where right. they were like, "Shit, this is." Right. Wait, can I say that? They were just. This is <laughs> this is something else we're dealing with entirely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, a very, very rude awakening. Yeah, it's like they're opening doors throughout the movie, and then the last door they open is just suddenly just total chaotic evil. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's crazy. Thank you, Abby and Chris. This is a blast to do. So thank you, True False. Thank you, the Cafe Berlin. Thank you to our audio producer, Bram Sable Smith. Uh, there. And thank you to our showrunner, Emily Roberts. And Yay, go so an applause for them, anyone who can hear me. There you go. And thank you to our audience and all the audiences at True False Film Fest who make it what it is. <laughs> Did someone self-boo? Um, all right, well, that, that's, that's about it. That's all for me. And that, this also brings us to the end of, of concurrently an episode of the Film Comment Podcast. Um, and I guess I'll see you in a year, assuming I don't expire from some strange disease I acquire from being up for this long. Because we are now concluding our 35th hour of Toasted. Thank you, everyone, and good night. You've been listening to the Film Comet Podcast with music by Greg Einge. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher. Film Comet is a bi-monthly magazine published by the Film Society of Lincoln Center. Since 1962, Film Comet has featured in-depth features, critical analysis, and feature coverage of mainstream, arthouse, and avant-garde filmmaking from around the world. Visit us online at filmcomet.com to purchase a print or digital subscription to Film Comet. Or check out our app, available on Android, iOS, or Kindle.